This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. And let's check in now with Stuart Muir, Executive Director of ResourceWorks. He supports the Coastal GasLink Pipeline. Been on the road in the Wet'suwet'en Territory speaking to community members up there. Very pleased to welcome him, Stuart. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Uh, tell me where you visited here on this trip. And for people who've uh, been following you on social media, it's been very interesting to to see you speak to the people in this community that I don't think get enough of a platform. And they're the mm. people in these communities who support this pipeline. I'm not saying there are indigenous people who are oppo- and there are no indigenous people opposed mm-hmm. to the thing, this thing. Obviously, there are, but there are a lot of First Nations people who support this pipeline. Tell me where you visited. Yeah, that's what we're seeing for sure, Mike. We've been up in, in Kitimat on the coast, but mainly we've been spending our time right in the, the center of all this controversy, which is in the Bulkley and the Chaco area, uh, north of that. Broadly speaking, I would call this the Wet'suwet'en territories, where the six local villages that are the, what make up that greater nation are located. And it's really the most beautiful country in the world. I posted a few pictures of the mountain peaks at yeah. At sunrise or sundown, wow, it's it's gorgeous up there. Beautiful time of year, but you know, there's also in a it's, it's a culture that's ten thousand years old, and they've been governing themselves through traditional law in that territory for all that time. And then the uh, European laws and people come along and and kaboom, right? So th- there's a very painful uh, process that we're still going through, even though we're in the era era. I, I should hope of reconciliation. We've had the you know, the truth and reconciliation process. A lot yeah. of people are committing really in their hearts and the, their deeds to to make this better. And and I certainly feel I am doing that. I know so many others are. And so how do you how do you get better? How do you move forward? You just can't move backward. And, and, and that's what I hear so often around this. So, um, you know, I've got some clips. Hopefully we'll be able to play later on. But talking yeah. to people, um, um, you know, first thing to, to make, be really clear that there are historic grievances. There are things unresolved. There's real issues here. But at the same time, I think um, because there's both the, the uh, government for those local bands, and they're not the whole sprawl of the territory. They're kind of isolated, and that's where a lot of people live. Not everyone. Some people live off reserve in Smithers and towns like that. But uh, they have the, the biggest community. I think it's under 2,000 people is Whitsitt or Morrisville and or Morristown. And that's that's where I think a lot of the people whose voices have been most loudly heard. I was up there yesterday. I looked in at the training center. Um, I've talked to a hereditary chief there. Like it, everyone is hearing about hereditary chiefs who are against the project. They've gone down east to make their say. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, if you go to the anthropology text, there's 174 uh, hereditary chiefs in the what, so in traditional. Uh, I don't think there's that many individuals today who hold those titles. But, you know, it's a very complex governance system. And it's yeah. based on what they call the feast hall. Now, that's not a big buffet, by the way, although you can have food. It's it's the traditional parliament and it's a participatory consensus-based parliament we've been hearing this we've been as i reach with uh, research this and travel with margareta uh, dovegill who is our director of research and is such an eager student of this material we're we're making some discoveries and we've been sharing that in in twitter in different areas and talking about it um what what we think is happening is there has been i think an opportunistic um attempt by people with national policy objectives to do with climate they don't want a pipeline they have this issue or that issue who who have identified uh we we've even said uh you know weaponized a small faction of what's so in traditional governance in order to achieve those ends and that's that's what we're seeing here 
I think one of the things that we've we've seen here is that it's evolved from not just a dispute between hereditary chiefs of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation who are opposed to this natural gas pipeline, but there are a whole bunch of other issues that have kind of got merged into it. So you've got environmental activism, you've got climate change activists, you've got some real extremist groups involved, you've got anarchists who are just right out there saying openly that the whole Canadian state is illegitimate and we're going to smash the economy and destroy it. So there's all these different things have, have come into play with the blockades we've seen. As you went through these traditional territories, did you get a sense from the Wet'suwet'en people themselves on the ground that they're they're frustrated with what they're seeing do they support these blockades do they not support them what are, what did people tell you up there yeah there's some i mean because it's not a large population there's one or two degrees of separation a lot of people's i, I think there's been a tendency in amongst uh, those those clans and families not to confront one another because they've got to live with each other right so even though there's someone who is on the other side of an issue there there seems to be you know sort of a, a silence on this which is not really been to their advantage if they want to uh, talk about the the jobs and benefits that so many do support and i think what's happening now that the pressure is on those who are supportive of a an investment that means more than a billion dollars of of wages and benefits uh, for those first nations uh, are starting to realize they better speak up and one yeah. thing we've seen is that there is a, a cultural cultural of, of of bullying you know some of these chiefs they, i've heard the term the fab five for these five hereditary chiefs uh they're 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 not universally, uh, I would even say, majority uh, supported. They are uh, seemingly using the authority they have. They're wearing their regalia, which has very much upset some of the elders. Uh, I heard that a lot. You know, you shouldn't be taking those those vestments out of the feast house and, and flaunt them that way and drag them mm-hmm. through the mud. It's very upsetting for the elders. Um, I, you know, I think that's one thread. Also, people who are just very practical. Look, uh, get training for the young people. Yeah. They don't have li- unlimited options. This is not downtown Toronto where supposedly they're marching for the Wet'suwet'en. Well, they're actually doing the opposite. They're marching against the Wet'suwet'en. They don't know it because they're stopping jobs and training opportunities, apprenticeships. So it will be not just a couple of years of, of employment for a pipeline, and some people okay. dismiss it that way. It's a lifetime career. You can take where you want to go. Okay, let's listen to a few of the people that you met and you spoke to on, on this journey that you took. So let's start with uh, Edward Tom. Now, this is a Wet'suwet'en man you spoke to, and here's what he said. You have to be pretty much unemployed to be a protester, because if they had a job, they wouldn't be protesting. Advice to you protesters? <laughs> Go get some training, get a real job. Okay, I mean, is this guy a minority opinion about the protesters, or is that typical of what you heard? How would you call yeah, he's a little more direct than yeah. than some, but that's <laughs> yeah. that's pretty typical because he he wants to have a job, he wants to feed his family. I've talked to a number of workers right now; they're idled because of this nonsense that's going on, and they're unhappy about it. Because um, I met with one gentleman, similar story to Edward Tom. He he was with his son at met him at the uh, at, at the uh, t- Timmy's in Smithers, and boy, I don't know how he's going to pay the rent. You know, um, mm. it's it's or how he's going to put food on the table. It's it's caused directly by this friction. I've heard so much of that. Yeah, another thing that I think is is fascinating that I've learned a lot about just in the last couple of weeks, and that are, is the number of Indigenous-owned and operated businesses. There mm-hmm. are a lot of them, and 
a lot of them have signed contracts to do work on this pipeline. And the spinoff is incredible, like over 600 million bucks worth of contracts, and there are more being signed. And you're talking about businesses in communities that are remote, as you mentioned, and have seen a lot of other kind of resource industries kind of falter and dry up a little bit. And then you get this big project coming through. It's creating a lot of, a lot of work. And people are worried about that, that disappearing. Have a listen to this. Here's another person you spoke to, Troy Young, another Wet'suwet'en man, and uh, one of the businesses he's involved with. If the project were to be halted, the loss would be probably insurmountable for this area. Nobody's ever going to invest here again. Okay, tell me about this guy and his business. Yeah, Troy Young, he's a... a, a anthropologist by training actually he went away to university but then he came home uh, re- built a family business up it's now jointly owned with the uh, witsit first nation oddly enough one of those those uh, hereditary chiefs who's down east on this issue is on the board of this business that employs probably 20 what's so members as well as 100 uh, others on things to do with the coastal gas link pipeline it's it's one of the weird things in this smaller community people have these these sometimes contradictory roles. And so Troy, we met with in Smithers last week. Um, He was very uh, articulate about these issues. I I think uh, there's a realization now that this has a direct impact in in communities that is is building, you know, they're putting a 46, I've told 46 unit apartment building into into Witsit Village where it's needed because people are living eight to nine to a house, dilapidated housing in some cases, and they won't have that if this doesn't go through. Okay, his his company is called Kaya Resources. Is that right? That's correct. What what kind of what kind of work does he do there with that company? Yeah, they're doing work on the pipeline route to build roads and clear uh, through the pipeline route. So that's yeah. something that requires a lot of skills out in the bush. Yeah, I mean, I talked to I talked to the guy who's uh, the chief of um, contract negotiation for Coastal Gaslink. He, he's an indigenous guy himself, and he's in charge of negotiating uh, these contracts. And when you start taking a close sort of deeper dive into these contracts and the economic spinoff it creates in these, in these remote communities, I mean, man, you're talking like these jobs are like gold up there. I mean, there's not a lot of great paying jobs around up there. Oh, that, that's just it. Yeah. As we listen to some of the voices of the Wet'suwet'en uh, on the Coastal Gasoline Pipeline, let's have a listen to this one, Stuart. Here is Candace Wilson. Now, she is from the Heisla First Nation. It's a Wet'suwet'en problem that needs a Wet'suwet'en solution. And I really hope they can come to terms and come to an agreement. You know, there are benefits and there is a way to do it responsibly. Okay, how do they figure this out if you've got an elected band council that supports the pipeline and hereditary chiefs that don't? How do they figure this out? Yeah, I mean, there are hereditary chiefs who sit on elected councils. It's worth noting that two of the hereditary chiefs who are down east seeking to unify with the this radical Mohawk thing are uh, ones who stood for office in the Witsit First Nation and failed to win the votes of the residents of that place. So they're not democratically supported in that sense. Um, yet these are the people so you who mean so you mean these are her, these are hereditary chiefs who ran for an elected council. Did they run on like an anti-pipeline platform and lost? I, I can't speak to their platform, but they're yeah. very much known as the ones leading the anti-pipeline uh, hereditary. Uh, uh, campaign, so yeah. presumably that would be known in the community, but they, but people didn't vote for them, and you know, seventy percent, seven zero percent of people in one of the six nations that we visited uh, voted in favor when they had a chance, more of a referendum style to support the pipeline. So you know, there's this you know wide, very strong 
popular support for the project. And, and so what, what uh, Candace uh, Wilson was just saying from Heisla on the coast is, is a very uh, a significant statement that I've been hearing from so many, which is, you know, leave the Wet'suwet'en to go into the traditions that they have to find the solution. Because, you know, residential schools, an imposed solution to supposed problems was not a solution for the Indigenous people of Canada. Uh, whenever the government or other well-meaning outsiders try to bring a solution to fix things, it never works out. No. So what's the way to back off from this and leave the traditions? But one of the problems in this is the feast hall system seems to have been, because of complexities of, of we think it's uh, the, the, the high uh, premature mortality rate and, and migration issues uh, coming and going, um, lots of social strains that have, I think, weakened uh, we, we, we believe the hereditary uh, feasting system, but it's such a such a valuable part of it. And how can it be restored to bring yeah. strength to what the people want? Because it is a consensus-based model. We, we've looked at the, the studies. You know, it's not a dictatorship. It's not, that's not the tradition that people have told us is the Wet'suwet'en tradition. It's not like five men can, you know, strip the titles from the women who had them before and take over and dictate their terms, which is kind of what's happened here. It, it's it's really documented. We know other authors have said this as as being a consensus based uh, right. democratic system, but it's not functioning properly for some reason. Okay, Gary Nazio, is that how you pronounce his name? Yes, yeah. Gary Gary Nazio. Listen to some more Wet'suwet'en voices here. Now, is this correct, sir? This this guy is a hereditary chief. Is that right? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. There's you know there's different layers and or, and order, a hierarchy. Yeah. Um, and he's not you know the the pointy top of it, but he is nevertheless a true hereditary chief of okay. his clan, the okay. Laxiliu clan, the Small Frog clan. Uh, Let's listen to what he has to say here, Gary Nazio. Well, the benefits that we're getting now from coastal gas link is um, we're getting more money to send our high school graduates to university. And now we're, get, we're getting our elders to teach our younger students in our um, elementary school in the village here. So uh, we're getting lots of benefits and our housing is going to increase because we're uh, way behind on our housing and there's a list of about maybe 120 people that are waiting to get a house. Okay, there may be a perception out there that all the hereditary chiefs are opposed to this pipeline, but that's clearly not the case. Mm, yep, that's true. Uh, very mixed there. We have spoken to many hereditary chiefs who are strongly supportive of the pipeline. Okay, Bonnie George is another Wet'suwet'en voice. Have a listen. Just let us deal with it. And if we deal with it in a way that we were taught by our elders and our chiefs in the past, we will resolve this. Okay, tell me about her. Well, the you know the, the most humbling thing of being able to um, you know I, I wherever I've gone I've asked to be invited there I haven't just showed up you okay. know and it's the respect you know the culture of respect that is at the the heart of the what's well, so culture it, in, in my okay. opinion is the most yeah. I got to jump in I got to step on you there Stuart as we run up against sure, the sure. clock here but I want to thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Okay, Stuart Muir Resource Works.